You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the QB Factory Reboot brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. We took a mini, mini break, but we are back and we're better and we're ready to give you guys all of the talk, recap everything that happened at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine. We are recording at about 1045 a.m. on Tuesday, March 8th, it is. And like I mentioned, we're going to talk about everything that went down. I'm your host, Rachel Prevett. I'm joined by my amazing co host the one and only Mark Schofield who was actually on the ground at the Indianapolis Combine he was there to see what all happened what was going down he's going to tell us about his experience I'm sure he has some um, lots and lots of stories to share so I'm down for all of it but before we get started don't forget to rate don't forget to leave a review you might as well stop what you're doing and subscribe to our YouTube channel follow us on Twitter at BGN underscore radio and follow us on Instagram at bleeding green insta but Mark it's been a, loud, a little while since we recorded. You were away this past weekend, so give us all the deets. We want to know what happened. Not a lot of sleep, Rachel. That's <laughs> that's really what happened. I mean, you said at the start, we're back, we're better. You're probably better. I am. I don't know if I'm better <laughs> after our little hiatus. Um, I, I, I will say that if I can avoid steakhouses for the next maybe three months of my life, I'll be yeah. in a good position because listen to this, okay? Tuesday night, group of eight of us, including our good buddy Ben Solak, St. Elmo's Steakhouse, where you go, that's the institution. You get the steak, you get the shrimp cocktail with their St. Elmo's horseradish sauce, which if you get it in the wrong area of your mouth, you will have tears just streaming down your face because it's like loaded with horseradish. It's like if you catch it just the wrong way, it's going to have the tears streaming down your face. The second night, Ruth's Chris. Steakhouse. It was like a group of like 13 of us, including our good friend Mike K, who was at who was at that dinner. And then the third night, the Brazilian steakhouse, Fogo de Chao. And okay. so it was to the point. Um, the one constant through all of these dinners, even though there were different groups of people, was Arif Hassan, my buddy who covers the Vikings for uh the athletic. Okay. And so we were at the table at Ruth's Chris and next to each other, um, because we sat next to each other, oddly enough, on all three meals. And when we were deciding what to eat that night, Arif turned to me and said, like, look, we had steaks last night. We're going to a Brazilian steakhouse tomorrow night. We can't kill ourselves. So let's be like a married couple. I'm going to get the salmon. You're going to get the stuffed chicken breast. We'll share it, and we'll prepare ourselves for what's going to happen tomorrow night. So, so that's what we did. Okay. Um, but it was, like you said, a, a lawn. Actually, I have a song lyric. My choice is trucking by the grateful dead which ends with this lately it occurs to me what a long strange trip it's been because the combine is a grind and you'll you'll see this next year when you're out there because i was telling rachel before the show i had a lot of people asking about rachel where my my, my fantastically talented co-host is and so we need to get rachel out there because 
it's a long, strange trip because you've got the media sessions which start 8 a.m. at the Indiana Convention Center where they get the podium set up and you've got the stages for all the sets for like CBS and NFL Network and all the networks have it. And then you've got the Radio Row area. I did the whole Radio Row thing a couple of times. Um, that starts at 8 a.m. But you've got dinner reservations. And if you're one of the bold ones, you will stay at the JW Marriott. High Velocity is the bar there. That okay. The JW is where all the teams stay. Okay. And so you'll hang out there until that closes at 1 and then make your way to Prime 47, which closes roughly around 4. Now, I didn't do that. I was a good boy, and I'm a little bit older, so I needed my beauty rest, um, as productive as that is. Um, but I was getting messages from people who shall remain nameless, um, but you all know and love, at like 3.45 in the morning on Twitter and text. They're like, where are you, man? We're still out. What's going on? So I read a story um, over at The Defector where a writer had handed an assistant coach or a position coach with some team a business card at like 3.45 in the morning, and the coach took it and ate it. Like strange stuff happens in Indianapolis for the combine. But I will say my favorite every year, I've been twice now. Okay. The security puppies, because they, they um, treat the combine like a high level security event. So they have canine sniffing dogs around. And one of my favorites, I met them all uh, was canine officer Sherman. He was a little like, you know, like, like golden lab, golden retriever type looking dog, but he was so nice. His handler, she was extremely friendly, gave me his little, uh, like a baseball card, telling stories about growing up with his family in North Carolina and how he's a member. Apparently there's like a police dog union. It's like Paw Patrol kind of situation. What? Um, but yeah, they're all super cute and super friendly, but they're walking all over the place. Um, I told you before the show. I walked 27 miles when I was in Indianapolis because of all the walking you do. And I was using a motorized scooter when I was around at night. Our aforementioned friend, Arif Hassan, he and I were staying at the same hotel. And the first night, Tuesday night, I saw him riding one of those motorized scooters that you can get through Uber, like back to the hotel. And he talked me into doing it the next night. And we were like like (laughs) scooter buddies riding through the streets and the sidewalk to downtown Indianapolis, like a little biker gang. I need footage. But it was fun. Like you're, you're riding on these little <laughs> scooters. And so that was fun. The final story I'll tell, and then we can move on to the other stuff. The last night, um, I was walking to dinner with Ed Valentine, who okay. runs Big Blue View. Yes. Uh, part of SB Nation. And there was a guy that was also in – Ed and I were in the same hotel, which is right next to Lucas Oil Stadium. And he got off the eleva- one elevator. Another guy got off another elevator and said hi to me because he, he and I had been sh- on shows before. Um, and it's like, who that, who, who is that guy? And I told him who it is and I'll tell you guys at the end. And then, so, Ed and I go out the side door and turns out that that person who said hello to went out the front door and then looped around and we started talking with him and he was walking with us and I introduced him to Ed and we had this long talk about how he and a buddy had gone to a cigar bar the night before a whiskey and cigar bar. They had each had like two whiskey drinks and two cigars each. And the bill had a comma. Like it was just at a really expensive tab and all that stuff, but he was super friendly and it was really cool to introduce this guy to Ed, Steve Tasker, who used to play for the Buffalo Bills. Okay. He now hosts One Bill Bills Live, uh, part of the Bills coverage, um, and who should probably be in the NFL Hall of Fame. 
but you're walking down the street in downtown Indianapolis with Steve Tasker, the former NFL special teams ace, and he's telling you about a ridiculous bar tab he had the night before, and he was actually on his way to go see a women's Big Ten tournament game. Nice. The women's okay. Big Ten basketball tournament was in town, and another friend of his had a daughter who was playing, and so he was going to see the game. And so, you know, he saw women's basketball players walking around. He saw cheerleaders walking around. It was a long, strange trip, Rachel, and now I need to catch up on sleep. Well, hopefully we don't record too long so that you can take a nice midday nap, you know, get catch up on your beauty sleep because, you, you know, it's, it's important. You need it. It is important. As you can see, this, I need all the beauty sleep I can get. <laughs> no, but I, I did think it was funny that uh, you mentioned the puppies, the canine dogs, because Jimmy Kimsky wrote an article and he also t uh, did a Twitter thread. And I was like, this is a thing. And he was literally introducing every single puppy and a fun fact about them. And I thought that was the cutest thing. They're adorable. And there was one that was right by, usually posted up by the security because you have to go through security and get to all of these places as well and okay. there was like a security check-in stand to get into the media room where like the podiums are for the players and all that stuff i was talking about and there was like a chocolate lab that was posted up there all the time and that puppy was absolutely adorable and like they all have these little vests on that say like huge letters like do not pet because yeah you see them and it's like Oh, hello, and you want to pet them, but yeah. they're doing a job. And so you gotta gotta respect their space. Yeah. And you know, they're trained, obviously. If like somebody goes after them, they're gonna respond the way they're supposed to. So yeah. that's why they have those waters. But yeah, the, the security pops at Indy are, are, are you know, I've been there twice and they, they yeah. stole the show both years. <laughs> I love that. I have one more question before yep. we get into recapping what went down. Uh, who chooses the restaurants every night? Like you said, it was a steakhouse every night. So who chooses that? Yeah, I, I made the reservations for St. Elmo's um, the first night and then the, the Brazilian steakhouse the last night. Um, the middle one, that was done by Thor Nystrom, who NBC Sports Edge. And that was a group of 13. Wow. Like 13 guys rolling into Roos Chris. And we were joking near the end of the night because they put us in this like side room. Okay. But we were loud. We were pretty <laughs> Now we took care of, we told our server, Jesse, that night, we were like, whatever, you know, you put 25% tip on the bill, like, we'll, whatever, we'll, we'll take care of you, you've taken care of us. But there is a couple that was clearly on a date night, like seated right next to us. And we were just, that poor couple had to like listen to us be loud and obnoxious <laughs> and make fun of each other for like two hours straight. I was sitting next to Eric Froton, who... You know, tall Scandinavian looking guy, like, okay. you know, bright blonde hair, basically. And I think it was Benjamin Albright put up a picture of the entire group of us. Okay. And poor Eric was getting roasted on Twitter because first somebody was like, who's that blonde guy sitting next to Mark? And why does he keep losing to James Bond in movies? Wait, what? And then somebody else was like, who the I didn't realize the kid from Slytherin grew up to write about football. No, and, we were just sh and poor Eric was just like, I am getting killed on Twitter right now. It's yeah. not fair, man. I'm just trying to have dinner. But yeah, so the, the two of the three nights, it was me reserving steakhouses. Okay. And so now, you know, it, it's, it's what you do. And it's interesting. A lot of people are saying that they might move the combine and people are like, you know, sports writers are going to miss their favorite steakhouses. We'll find new steakhouses, but Indianapolis, it's a great setting for this event because everything is there. The, the hospital where they do all the medical testing, 
it's like six blocks north. Okay. If your team staying at the JW Marriott, you can get from the Marriott to the convention center to Lucas Oil Stadium without ever going outside. It's all connected by like skywalks and tunnels. And so if like the last time I was out there, we had a like snowstorm um, at the end of it. You could stay inside and still hit everything you needed to do because of how connected it all is. And my last afternoon, Thursday afternoon, I finished work early. I had a couple of hours to kill before dinner. And so I walked to the downtown mall. I walked through like the Indianapolis artscape, which was like beautiful. Then I walked down Washington Street. I visited the Indiana State Museum, which was kind of interesting. There was like an art museum full of like Western and Native American art. I walked through that. I even went to the NCAA Hall of Champions, which is a museum okay. that honors like national championship teams at the college level. That's all walkable. Like it, it was super cool. And so, yeah, you can move it to L.A. and you'll be stuck in traffic for 45 minutes to an hour trying to get from one place to another. You can move it to Dallas. And I'm sure Dallas, we'd find new restaurants to eat and all that stuff. Indianapolis is like so well connected for this event where you can just walk to everything. It would be sad if they moved it. I mean, I hope that I can attend in Indianapolis before they decide to move it. So I can, you know, go through the rite of passage and get that experience because it sounds like it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's super fun. Um, And you know, this one had like, I didn't go to the senior bowl. This had the feel of a reunion because like COVID. this was, the combine, like, you know, in 2020, that was the last travel a lot of us did. That was the last time I saw a lot of these people. And, you know, there's a thought that, like, this was right before COVID. It was the combine, like, a super spreader event because a lot of us were saying, yeah, I get home from the combine a couple of years ago. And I didn't feel good for a couple of days. Mm. And that was, like, pre-COVID before, like, all the tested and stuff. There yeah. were a lot of, like, awkward hugs. And there were a lot of, like, awkward high fives because, you know, you see people that, you know, through the medium of Twitter, you interact with sometimes on an hourly basis at a group right. PM or whatever. Now you're finally seeing them again for the first time in a couple of years. And so it had this like awkward reunion type feel to it too. But, you know, it was good to be out there. It was good to talk to some of these players. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was good to get kind of a feel for what's going to happen over free agency. It was good to hear from Howie. It was good to hear from Sirianni. They, they were, you know, they had a, as I wrote, they presented a very much a unified front on the Jalen Hurts question. Yes. Like it was, we're going to help Jalen, we're going to develop Jalen. And I know we've joked that Nick Seriati listens to this show, but okay. he talked about how you saw where Jalen was at the beginning of the year, and you see where he is at the end of the year, and you see that upward growth and development, and you see the areas where he's improved in terms yeah. of pocket management and pocket presence. And it's like, that's what Rachelle and I have been saying for months. So thanks for listening, Coach. Thank um, you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> it, it set us a keg from Lower Marion Beverage. Like, you know, you got the one Jason Kelsey. Now send us a keg. You're welcome. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I loved all the stories. And we are going to get into more of what you saw and some takeaways. But before we even get into that, I have some song lyrics. I chose these specifically for Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, who definitely boosted their stock at the Combine. If anything, they just kind of like proved us what we already knew. Um, and I chose All Praise Do, uh, My Enemies Still Press, Get Along, Because I Bet On Myself. And this is from Mood Forever uh, by Beyonce. And I chose these lyrics because we knew who the, like, the top QB prospects were going into the draft. I mean, not draft, into the combine. And I think that 
there was a lot of talk around Kenny Pickett and his hand size was definitely got measured at eight and a half. Right. And of course, but it was like, despite that, despite the video that went surfacing of uh, Malik Willis, who was like helping someone, I don't know if they were homeless or not. I, all you saw was him helping them on Twitter. Um, But there was a lot of like negativity surrounding both of those names. So the fact that they were still able to, you know, not be phased by everything that was going in the media. Some people saying that Malik Willis was faking it and it was staged. And some people talking about Kenny Pickett, regardless, both of them, I feel like did a really good job just being mature. And then also just looking extremely comfortable and confident when they were in their workouts. So I chose that because the enemies are going to talk. The haters are going to talk regardless. It's always going to be something negative to say, but I think that they both betted on themselves and showed up. And if anything, they look even better than they did before they went to and showed up at the combine. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, I, I think, one of the undercurrents and one of the more dominant conversations while I was on Indianapolis was the idea of Mitchell Trubisky as a viable option in free agency for teams that need help at the quarterback position. And, you know, that really sort of stunned me, you know, but I, I do also think that like, that's part of what, you know, how teams might feel about this quarterback class. Right. And we don't know about Malik Willis. We don't know about a Kenny Pickett. We don't know about a Desmond Ritter. So we're going to dr- you know, side in free agency, Mitchell Trubisky, who had as many meaningful passes last year in the NFL as I did. But we're going to do that rather than draft one of these guys. And with all of that going on, you know, these guys performed. And the combine is such a, it's a circus. This draft process is a circus. It's the longest and strangest interview process for a job known to all of humankind. But to be able to like, and it's not just the quarterbacks, but like a, a guy like Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from Georgia, who yes. at 341 pounds rips off a 4.7840 yard dash. It was just like, oh, you guys thought I was just a two down run stop and defensive tackle. No, no, no. I'm a little bit more than that. And I'm going to run a faster 40 yard dash than like some of the receivers and tight ends that are here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to see these guys sort of all block out the noise and perform. Well, meanwhile, they're going through some surreal experiences. Like you hear, you know, I, I think it was Zion Johnson, the, the interior offensive lineman from BC, who was like, I was just in a meeting with Mike Tomlin. Like, oh, my God. Like, yes. these are like 21, 22-year-old guys that are like, they're getting their faces scanned for Madden. And yeah. they're on the cusp of being in a video game. They've grown up playing and dreamed of being in. Yeah. Now they're going to be there. Like, yeah. that they're performing in front of coaches. Like, it's a surreal experience for them as well. And to be able to block out all of that and perform the way these guys do each year, it's incredibly impressive, especially, you know, the two quarterbacks you just mentioned. Much respect to them. Cause I don't know if I could do it. Like just imagine if, and I'm sure you had that happen because you were a quarterback at one point, you know, in college and all of the scrutiny you're hearing, all of the negativity, but everybody can't handle that. You know, some people I'm sure would break down. So maybe they are are breaking down behind, you know, closed doors. But out in front of the media, I think that they're handling it extremely, extremely well. But let's talk about what we saw. So just a reminder, before we even get into the QB prospects, uh, the Eagles have three first round picks in this year's draft. Number 15, number 16 and number 19 overall. And they have 10 picks total. So, of course, we don't think that they're going to look at a quarterback based off of what they're saying. But we never know. You know, you kind of have to follow the actions over words. So even though Howie and uh, Sariani have a united front and they're saying, 
saying this about Jalen. You just don't want to rule it out yet. So outside of quarterback, you know, of course, cornerback, safety, linebacker, wide receiver, like a big body wide receiver would be nice. But we're going to touch on the quarterbacks that we saw today. So quarterbacks kick things off on Thursday. And first, I guess I'll ask you what stood out to you from the quarterbacks just overall. Yeah, I mean, I, I think two things sort of stood out with respect to the workouts. Um, Malik Willis, um, his throwing session, I thought was really impressive. You know, and we probably we expected that going in, but he checked that box. Like he, he threw the ball well. Uh, the ball really pops out of his hands. Like in, in terms of sort of arm talent, like, yeah, it, it was an impressive throwing session. The deep ball, the velocity, the way it spins out of his hands and all of that good stuff checks a lot of boxes that way. I think the way that Desmond Ritter tested from an athletic profile, like, you know, ran really well, like the agility drills and stuff, the testing that he did, I thought he did a very good job. Opened some eyes a bit because watching him on film, Rachel, I didn't see this like Marcus Mariota type of guy that could be a weapon both as a runner and a thrower. Like Ritter was more of a pocket movement management kind of guy, the way he played at Cincinnati. Cincinnati didn't do a ton of stuff like that with him. And to see him sort of open that up, I thought was really impressive. So those two sort of impressed from a workout standpoint. I think from a meeting with the media standpoint, Matt Corral from Mississippi and Carson Strawn from Nevada really sort of impressed me. And it was for similar reasons. It was that leadership quality that I think teams really look for in a quarterback. And, it sort of stems from an injury kind of standpoint because Matt Corral obviously played in his bowl game, got hurt in his bowl game. And then there were a lot of questions like, do you have any regrets? And he's like, no, absolutely not. Like it was, people were asking me before the bowl game and the weeks leading up to it, if I was going to opt out and I not for a million years, like I'm not going to leave my teammates behind in a, in a bowl game. They're the ones who got me here. Like I'm not going to turn my back on them. I didn't have any, no regrets whatsoever, even though I got hurt. And he also talked about, and I thought this was really interesting, at Mississippi during the season, they would have what they called Get Real Wednesday, where no coaches except for the strength and conditioning coach, all the players. And they would have like these team discussions centered or started on a theme like depression or losing or frustration or whatever it was that week. And they would kind of like open up and share. And he said that, look, I had to be first during each one of these because I'm the quarterback. I'm the leader. Like, if I can't do that, they're not going to open up as well. They need to see that their quarterback, that their leader is open, is vulnerable, is honest. And I thought that was really impressive uh, from him. And so that stood out to me during the media session. And then Carson Strong, you know, a huge knock on him has been the knee, the Mm -hmm. injury history and all of that. And he said, look, doctors told me to take a year off. Doctors told me to take 12 months away from the game. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to bail on my team. I'm not going to miss my last season. Let's come up with a new plan. And so they came up with a six-month plan. It required him, you know, sitting out practices. And, you know, he even said that, look, you know, I'm working with Jordan Palmer, who obviously coaches Josh Allen and other quarterbacks. And we found that my throw in motion, I started to compensate for the knee injury on the field because of the pain that I was going through. And so I'm re- reworking my throw emotion and my lower body mechanics and his throwing session, I think was better as a result of the work that he's done. But he, again, similar to Matt Corral, I wasn't leaving my, my teammates in the lurch. I, I was going to go play for them. Even if it put me at risk for an injury in a bowl game, even if it meant, you know, I was taking a risk with my body, like in Strawn's case, when 
He was like, look, my dad told me not to play, but I wasn't going to leave my teammates behind. I thought those two guys, with what they said to the media, were very impressive. And it talks a lot about the character. You hear so much. We know that the quarterback position is definitely most important in the NFL, but we a lot of times just look at, like, the physical and, like, how athletic they are. But we're hearing so much more about people's character, and I think that's why the interviews – interview process at the combine and just talking to the media is so important because you have to see what type of player you're going to draft. Right. If they can't be a leader of men, then it's like, you know, and and quarterback, it's not a, a snap to whistle position. It's, it's a huddle to whistle. It's a locker room to whistle. It's a meeting room to whistle. It's a, it's a Monday morning to Sunday night position. Like, you have to be the face of the franchise. You have to be a leader. Now, that can take different forms. Like, you don't have to be the, like, rah-rah, like, jump up and down, yell at people, Tom Brady type of guy. You can be the quiet, steady, you know, more of the, the say, Justin Herbert type of guy. Or the, you can be brash and cocky like Joe Burrow. You can be quiet and reserved. But you have to be a leader. You have to have that ability to step into a huddle and get the command of those 10 players all believing in you, all staring at you and believing in you. And the loneliest place on the planet is as a quarterback in a huddle when those 10 sets of eyes are looking at their cleats because they don't believe in you. And if you can't command that, however form that takes, your offense is going to struggle. Your team is going to struggle. And so that's why Nick Sirianni does things like Sam Howell comes into the meeting room. Here, here's a basket. Five yeah. shots. You want to see how competitive they are. That's what Sirianni told us. You want it, If you can get that little bit of information to see how they handle losing and adversity, even if it's in a dumb little like Papa shot game, that's information that yeah. you want to put to use. And so checking that leadership box is a huge piece of the quarterback puzzle. And I, I think Matt Corral and Carson Strong checked out at the podium. You talked about losing a little bit. And I want to take a quick break really quick. But when we get back from the break, I want to ask you, who do you think the quarterback, any losers were when looking at the QB class? And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of these prospects, but we're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back. Thank you guys for tuning in. And before the break, we touched on some of the wins and some of the positive that we saw from some of these QB prospects. But I want to talk to Mark a little bit about some of the QBs that maybe, you know, went down like 
were there any do you think there were any losers and maybe not even just from the QB class but like overall were there any players who didn't live up to like the hype and the expectation that there was going into the combine yeah i mean i don't i don't i don't think there were really any sort of actual losers uh from the quarterback position i mean i i think you know, PFF had a piece today that like they looked at a winner and a loser by each position and they had Kenny Pickett as the loser. And I, I think in a way it came down to the eight and a half inch hands and the, the whole hand size thing, we've talked about it. Um, it does make him an outlier, you know, because yeah. smallest quarterback hands really since Michael Vick, um, a lot of teams, you know, used to hear nine and a quarter. Now maybe teams have sort of dropped it to nine inches as sort of a threshold. And so it will make him an outlier in that sense. But as, as I keep telling people, it's a data point and perhaps it does make him an outlier. And maybe you're not comfortable betting on an outlier early in the first round of the NFL draft. And I understand that. But you also have to take that bit of data and then go back to the film and apply it. Do you see him struggling with ball security? Well, people say, well, yeah, he had 26 fumbles in college. Okay, he played over five seasons, and at times he was playing behind a, a offensive line that sort of struggled, and so it needs some context. People say, "Well, he won't be able to play in the elements." He played outdoors at Pittsburgh like, <laughs> right. in an NFL stadium. Like it, yeah. it's not like he's somebody that played, you know, in, like when when Burrow measured it at nine inches, there were some can he play in weather concerns, and it's like, well, he played in the SEC, he played in Baton Rouge and Happy Valley, like. What's it gonna what's gonna happen on an NFL Sunday in Cleveland or Cincinnati when it's like 30 degrees and rainy? Like, you know, he played outdoors. Um, and you don't see issues with him. Like a couple of years ago, um, you know, people that have followed my work for a while know that I love Brett Rippett out of Boise State. I I, I love Brett Rippett. He was my QB4 that year after Murray Haskins. Like I, I was a huge fan, and he went undrafted. He had smaller hands. And when you saw him play at Boise State in the elements, his final regular season college game was a conference championship game against Nevada at Boise State. Second half of that game, it was like snowy and sleety. And they ran the ball all the time in a close game because he did have some of those fumble issues. He did sort of struggle with weather with smaller hands. When Pickett's playing games in weather, you know, they didn't sort of turn him into a handoff only quarterback. They let him grip it and rip it. And so, I kind of dismiss the hand sign concerns with, with, with Pickett, but you know, there are people that for whatever reason, thresholds or others, they're going to look at that and say, I just, I can't do it in the first round. And so it, I guess in that sense, you know, he'd be the guy that you could say like, yeah, you know, it, for whatever reason, and it's not really something he can change. Like your hands are the way they are that teams might not have them on their board. I think it's so interesting just when you, you know, are researching and you're listening to what people are saying because you're hearing this negative about his hand size. But at the same time, people have been very vocal about how he's probably the only QB prospect that is going to be ready to go, you know, immediately, maybe. So to me, it's just like, how does that work it makes me anxious to see like where he's going to fall because this other than his hand size he looked really really good yeah i mean i just this happens every combine not just the quarterback position but at other positions we have you know one two three four five years of film on players where it's like yeah this is what you've done in games in pads in actual game conditions 
but oh, you ran a really good 40 yard dash, or you had a tremendous three cone time, or wow, you, your your bench reps were low, or your vertical was lower. And so we're gonna throw all that actual game stuff out and measure and really overemphasize this measurement in a sterilized sort of testing environment that in many cases doesn't replicate what happens on the field. We overreact to 40 yard dashes. Yeah. As, as a cornerback, as a defensive back, how often are you sprinting straight 40 yards from a sprinter's start? Like you're not like, yeah. yes, we want to see your lawn speeding. Do you chase people down and stuff like that? Can you, you know, can you match and carry a vertical route and things like that? But you know, the 40 doesn't really translate to the field. That's why, you're seeing a lot of teams and we just got done seeing Cooper cup win a super bowl MVP, right? Mm -hmm. He ran a four, six, you know, but what did the Rams do? They used the chip data from the senior bowl that said that he was like one of the fastest players on the field during practices in the game. And they said, forget about the 40, like that, give us this data. And we've got chip data and all that stuff on all these players. You look at Traylon Burks, who at two twenty five runs a 4.45 40 yard dash. And you think, Wow, he's slow. I don't know about that. And then you turn on the film and you see him outrunning the entire Alabama secondary <laughs> on a catch and run touchdown. And it's like, well, what means more to you? What he did in Indianapolis in shorts and a t-shirt or what he did in helmet and pads against one of the best defenses in the country? Yeah. Do you think that in the foreseeable future, they might make changes to some of these workouts and some of the testing that's done at the combine because it's so like generalized, you know, and make it a yeah. little, you know? Yeah. Rachel, I, I, that's a great question. And I do think you're starting to see an evolution of how the teams use the combine and what data they use. Like some teams aren't even going now, you know, yeah. they're just like, we, we can get the data. You know, we don't need to be in the, in Indianapolis with our phones up like this, like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, what did you get? Cause I got a five, two, five on this guy. Oh, I got a five, one, three. Like, yeah, they can get the data. Number one, number two, the travel time, like, you know, Indy, LA, Dallas, whatever. If you're like spending four hours to get there, or you could be in the office watching four hours of game film on players. Like what matters more? Yeah. And I also think that like, you know, they're starting to like parse out the 40, for example, where it's like in years past, it's like, Oh, he ran, four seven eight in the 40 okay yeah but his 10 yard split was 1.52 which is really fast okay that's where football is won right 10 yard increments yeah like again a couple of times a game as a receiver yeah you'll run a go route for 40 yards or so but most of the time the throws are happening within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and what might matter more is your change of direction skills which is why something like the three cone matters yeah and so you know, I, I think there's an evolution going on with how teams use the combine and what they use it for. And I also think there's an evolution with how players use the co combine. Kayvon Thibodeau, for example, okay. might be one of the top players drafted, top five, you know, edge prospect. He did the bench, he had the meetings, and he did the medicals. And that was it. So mm -hmm. for the rest of it, I'll see you at my pro day. You know, yeah. I mean, because it's a long day for these kids, you know? Mm -hmm. You get up, you have meetings with teams, you might do media, then you're benching, then you're running the 40, then you're doing the other testing. And like a lot of players opted out of the three cone, particularly receivers, because they were like at the end of a long day, my time's going to be slow. Mm. So I'll give you the 40 and my bench or whatever, and we'll do the meetings. You can see, you can get my three cone at the pro day when that might be the only drill that I do. And then the on-field workouts. And so I think there's this sort of evolution going on with the combine generally. I think teams are going to use it differently over the next couple of years. I think the format might get tweaked. 
I was reading today that they might do positional based combines where you might have quarterbacks in Dallas and receivers in Denver. I don't know how that would work. Yeah. Um, who quarterbacks going to throw to, or maybe they yeah. do like quarterbacks, receivers, and tight ends in one area, and offensive yeah. linemen, defensive linemen in another area. You know, the NFL, if there's a way to make more money, they're going to find a way to make more money. So you've got like six different combines going on. They'll probably do that. I'm not going to six different combines. Let's put it that way. They need steakhouses in six different cities. So, right. um, but yeah, I, I do think to your question that there's like this evolution going on of the combine, the process and how teams use it. And so it's probably going to look a lot different in a couple of years. Well, I'm going to be looking and doing more research because I think that's very interesting. And I want to hear more about it because it has to change, you know, it has. Yeah. To I mean, this process is to get the best out of these kids to let them put their best foot forward. And I think if you're condensing all of the testing into one day, like they used to do where like you would bench on one day, you know, 40 and then on field workouts and stuff like that, different days. You know, if you're throwing up 27 reps of 225 in the morning, it takes a lot out of you. Yes. And then you're going to do your 40, your positional drills. And then at night, like the three count, like that's, that's a lot. So that's exhausting, you know, that is exhausting. That's a lot for these players. I, can so I, I think the medicals and the meetings are the meat and potatoes to use the steakhouse pun um, of the combine week. And, and I think, you know, teams are going to look for that. Teams want to meet these players, you know, for all the reasons we talked about, not just the quarterback position, but all the positions. Um, and, and players want to make sure, because you might not get a chance at your pro day to meet with all 32 teams. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe if you're uh, Malik Willis, yeah, all 32 teams will be at Liberty's pro day, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe not, you mm-hmm. know, but you don't have this opportunity. So you go to Indianapolis, you take the chance to meet with all 32 teams and put your best foot forward in those meetings, you know, and then you can do some of the testing because, again, the data will get shared. And so, you know, if you have the opportunity to like have a great pro day and run a 4 3 4 as a Traylon Burks wide receiver, you know, great. But you have the indie meetings with all 32 teams to tell them who you are. Now you have the pro data showing what you can do from, from a track standpoint, I guess. I have one last question and then we'll get you out of here. So hopefully you can enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Um, after seeing the guys in person, the quarterbacks, uh, do you still, would you still say that this is like a weaker class? You saw them in person and I was watching them on TV and I was like, well, these guys, some of these guys look pretty good. You know, Malik Willis, definitely arm strength is there. We already know he's physical, athletic, Desmond Ritter, extremely fast. Can you pick it? Like we saw all of, all of these guys, but leading into it, there was a lot of negative. So comparing them to other previous draft classes, how would you rank them and how would you grade them? Yeah. I mean, I still think with comparisons to like the 2018 class, obviously we had Allen and Lamar and you had five guys in the first round. Obviously last year we had five guys in the top 10. No, I don't think we get five guys. I mean, could, could it three theoretically happen when you get five guys sneak in the first round, maybe because of just positional need and how many teams might take a chance on a quarterback. I mean, I don't think it's like the strongest quarterback class. Yeah. I don't think it's like necessarily a weak one. I just think okay. it's it's different. It's okay. it's a more scheme and situational dependent quarterback class than in years past. Like I think last year you looked at, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you looked at Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and you're like, yeah, these guys are probably going to be pretty good wherever they end up. I mean, even you can make a case for Mac Jones, who was probably a bit more scheme dependent and situational dependent. I think all of these guys 
kind of need to be in the right environment. Like Kenny Pickett needs to be behind a good offensive line. Malik Willis needs to be in a situation where he can sort of grow and have weapons around him. Like Denver at nine might make a lot of sense. Um, so I think these guys are just a different group. You know, I, I hate to use the phrase like weak quarterback class or bad quarterback class or anything like that because they're still talented. Very. It's just they're going to need more from the like – surroundings around them at the NFL level than in other quarterback groups. But, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And front offices and coaching staffs should be trying to do that anyway. I mean, just because Trevor Lawrence is like a tremendously talented quarterback prospect doesn't mean you don't give him help. You should be looking to help these guys anyway. And so, no, I think these guys did help themselves because again, a lot of the talk going in was this is a bad quarterback group. Like are you drafting any of these guys in the first Mm -hmm. round? Do you think any of these guys can play? We come out of Indy. Malik Willis is now, you know, a lot of people saying he's coming off the board at two to Detroit. And, you know, we're going to get, you know, four guys and maybe the top 20. Like, I think the conversation has changed a little bit, which goes to tell you that, like, yeah, these guys as a whole helped themselves last week. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. But like I said, we're not going to keep you too long. This is a longer episode than normal, but we got some story time in it earlier. So, um, but that's going to be all for this episode of the QB Factory Reboot. Thank you so much for sharing your insight from what you witnessed and your stories, your observations. We appreciate it. Hopefully you guys listening appreciated it. I hope you don't, I hope that you guys all take the time to uh, leave a review, to subscribe to our YouTube channel, to follow us on social media. But do you have any last words, Mark? I'm just excited to get some rest, excited to uh, you know, <laughs> properly hydrate and things like that after a week in Indianapolis. And as always, go Eagles. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.